0: Because there's actually a business case because high achievers are 400% more productive than an average employee. Wow. So there is a real business case for having more high achievers. Unfortunately, within organizations, most of our attention is given to the low performers. How to figure out what it is that you are passionate about. Just because you're good at it doesn't mean you enjoy doing it. There's a difference. So how to figure out what it is that you love to do, because the research has shown you only need to spend 20% of your time doing what you love in order for the other stuff that you're doing not to deplete you so much.
1: Hey, friends. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Tom and I will be your host today and in the future episodes. So welcome to the Lifestyle Mastery Podcast. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of Lifestyle Mastery Podcast. I'm really excited for you to be here again. Episode number 22 for the season number two will be with Dr. Ruth Gautian. And this episode dives super deep into high achievers lifestyle and what is that made of really uh, she wrote a book called the success factors um, which dives as i mentioned deep into these four traits or elements or really mindsets of, of really the most successful high achievers that we can find on the planet earth right now she interviewed astronauts astronauts uh nobel prize winners NBA superstars and so on and so forth and this conversation is possibly one of the more information rich and insight rich conversations that I've had for a long long time I personally truly enjoyed that enjoyed this one I found uh, amazing nuggets out of this one so I truly hope that you do the same I would highly recommend taking a notepad and uh, jotting down some ideas and insights of what comes out for you during these conversations because it's a blocked full of really, really good stuff, if I may say that. So please sit back, uh, enjoy the conversation. And as always, I w- we would love to hear how these ideas resonate with you. So with that being said, I will give you Dr. Ruth Kotian. So, Ruth, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
0: Thank you so much. I am so excited that we are finally connecting to just chat about success and my obsession with it and my book, The Success Factor. I am really thrilled to be here.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time coming. I think we planned this for, what, probably six months ago we started? Oh, at
0: least, yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, so it's it's good to time these things for, when, for the releases, book releases, and things like that, so... We're going to start from ruth's a uh, little bit of a personal story a little bit and then we definitely gonna dive deep into the attributes and intricacies of the book that she just wrote about and what we can learn from the success factor of these high achievers and what went on for for her research and so on and so forth but uh, but uh with, without further ado let's start uh ruth from somewhere and tell us a little bit of your own backstory how did you start and uh, where did you start from and how did you end up where you are right now in a in a sort of quick nutshell.
0: Uh, Studying success and extreme high achievers. Uh, It's not as if I grew up surrounded by astronauts and Olympic champions and Nobel Prize winners. Those are the people who I read about. Those are the people who I would see on TV. Those are the people who I would watch and hear about. Those weren't the people who I generally interacted with. And I always thought that that level of success is for other people. It was reserved Mm. for other people who had a natural talent and and the right connections. And later on in life, I was running what's called an MD-PhD program. My students would get the dual degree, both an MD and a PhD degree simultaneously. They were training to be what we call physician scientists. And this program had a three and a half percent acceptance rate. So this was the best of the best who were applying. And I quickly realized that even within this really exceptional group, there were still those who were rising to the top. Hmm. And I had my eye on those people because nationally and globally, all we were talking about were those who were leaving the profession. Why would you train for something so hard, so long, so expensive, and then leave? And this happens in every industry, not just with physician scientists. So everyone was really focused on that end of the problem. And I thought the solution was in the other side of the spectrum, those high achievers. What if we could produce more of those people who would more than make up for anybody who was leaving the profession? Mm. So with that in mind, while working full time and raising my family at the age of 43, I decided I was going back to school. And I went to get my doctorate and I studied adult learning and leadership to figure out what is behind this idea of extreme success.
1: Mm. And
0: I have been studying extreme success ever since. And I quickly realized that a Nobel Prize winning scientist is just like an Olympic champion who's just like an astronaut. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, I quickly realized that success is something that could be learned. And Mm. if it's something that could be learned, I'm an adult educator. I know how to teach it. So with all of that and using all of the skills and experiences I've had, I've been teaching it and talking about it and wrote the book, The Success Factor. And it's really the culmination of years and years of work and obsession about Mm. creating a culture of excellence because who of us would like to work within an organization where the goal is to be average. Mm. Whom among us wakes up in the morning saying today, today I'm going to be average. (laughs) Nobody. People want to succeed, but we're trying these random things. We're copying other people's habits that don't really work for us. There had to be a better way. So that's what I went out to find out. And I just thought like a social scientist and really did the research on it and then explained it in a way that people can understand. So it's not just something academic. It's something that would be useful for every person. And that was my plan.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. So you've been basically studying and hanging out with the 1% of the 1%ers. So you you always hear this, like, that's the 1%. 1% 1% rule or the 1% of this and that. And then, but there's actually the the cream of that. There, there are yeah. the people that are the one percent of the one percenters. And That's right. th- just really quickly, like maybe we can dive deeper into that later, but the, the word obsession is kind of misunderstood as well. Yeah. Oh, actually, let, let's like what it goes uh, for quote unquote common common person or the when you hear the word obsession, it's almost like addiction. Like a lot of people associate obsession with something that it's almost on the verge of addiction. How does that, how does that word, right? Like at least for, for, for yeah. me in the beginning, it was like, oh, you, he's obsessed or, you know, yeah. "I must be addicted, I must not be happy, it must be this and this and that. But how does, how, how do you play around with that word obsession? Maybe in for your me, own life or, or the, the people, people that you, you saw?
0: For me, I think it was a very healthy obsession mm-hmm. because once I started seeing the connections I couldn't unsee it. And I just wanted to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. And for me, that obsession is what we call an intrinsic motivation. It's that fire from within. Nobody was telling me I had to go back to school at the age of 43 and get a doctorate while I was doing all these other things. It's what I wanted to do because I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's all I was thinking about. And I wanted to find the answer. It was a puzzle I needed to solve. There was these burning questions. Mm -hmm. And it's why when you start doing things, there's actually benefits to going back to school later in life. Mm -hmm. You start researching things and looking at things in a whole different ways. I didn't read things for classes because I had to read it. Mm -hmm. I read it because I wanted to read it. And what's different between my doctoral studies versus my bachelor's and master's, bachelor's and master's, I did what I was told to do. Mm. The doctorate, There was required reading and then recommended reading. I read all the recommended readings, all of them. I never would have done that before. And then I would look at the references of those readings and read those readings as well. So it's something I couldn't stop thinking about. It's why I, I, you know, it was the last thing I thought about before I went to bed. The first thing I thought about when Mm -hmm. I woke up in the morning, constantly thinking about it. How can we do this better? How can we make people more successful and that's what i what i think about a lot
1: yeah i love it love it love it well thanks for already for doing the work and writing the book about it and so on and so forth let's uh so let's let's start from somewhere and i always want to i've actually talked about this and before and i i this is something that i kind of started thinking about like when, when we hear the word high achiever or high performer um how would you define a high achiever? Like, obviously, there's this common idea again, but in in your words or maybe in the book, like, how do you define someone who's a high achiever? And then further on from there, do you think that anybody can be a high achiever?
0: Let me start by saying anybody could be a high achiever because Mm -hmm. I really think that these are learned skills. What The early part of my research was actually to define success because what I quickly realized was that the definition of success changes based on who you ask. And not only that, it changes based on rank and gender. But that's a whole separate discussion. There are papers I wrote on that. You, you, you could go check. But the definition that I used for success was And that's based on the research is that people who created a paradigm shift in the way we think about things, the way we do things, the way we process things, they changed something, they achieved something that got us to look at things differently. Mm-hmm. And also, as they were going up through the ranks, as they were becoming more successful, they brought other people up with them, it was never just about them. So for example, Dr. Bob Lefkowitz, the Nobel Prize winning um, scientist, he got the Nobel Prize in chemistry. He has mentored over 200 people, 200 over his career. Now, he even shared the Nobel Prize with one of them. Now, that's one way to lift people up, right, is to mentor them one-on-one. But a lot of these people They also developed programs, entire programs. So, for example, Dr. Charlie Camarda, who's one of the astronauts who I interviewed, he went up in the space shuttle uh, after the Columbia disaster. And he, when he retired from NASA, he actually created an entire nonprofit foundation in order to teach children and teach teachers how to teach children. Mm -hmm. how to take strategic risks and do them in small ways early and often. And he says it in a much more elegant way. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to do this in his retirement. He spent decades at NASA, but he wanted to give back. And that's why the people who I interviewed in The Success Factor, they're not the wealthiest people in the world. Mm -hmm. It's not about money. And it's also not about fame. So you won't see the reality television stars in the book those were not the people that fit Mm -hmm. my definition Mm
1: -hmm. and in
0: fact the people who did fit my definition when i would reach out to them and say you came up on my list as somebody who's an extreme high achiever and they would say i am (laughs) i would say you won the nobel prize if you're not successful, what does that say about the rest of us? They were extremely humble. So yeah. those were that was really the definition I worked with, and um, really, really glad that I did because I got to meet the yeah. most incredible people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Something that's coming to me is is one of my other sort of favorite words that I play around a lot is mastery, and I think that mastery goes very much hand in hand with these people that that are quote unquote high achievers and. I think the common, commonality with sort of people that are master at something, they don't see themselves as yeah. masters. It's, it's basically a label that, that other people keep to you. And That's the, right. the, the, the other sort of idea that I wanted to take out from what you just shared there was that, you know, the money and the fame is always something that you get, like yes. you get out, of, out from the world. But then the people that you interviewed maybe and like what I, the people that I look up to is like how, how much they were able to contribute, how much they were that's able right. to give to others, share, right. teach, mentor, coach, what have you. And, exactly. and that's probably uh, more than likely the, the commonality of all, of all these people. So saying right. that, what are the other commonalities or maybe even habits or routines or what are the other sort of common things or attributes that you found out from,
0: from? Yeah, there are actually four mindsets. And I say it's not habits because you cannot copy somebody else's habits, mm-hmm. especially if it doesn't fit in your lifestyle. So, mm-hmm. for example, I'm a morning person. I wake up before most people, before the sun comes up. I am really sharp in the morning. Mm-hmm. And as the day starts to wane on, I get more tired and things take longer to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. So. If I am, for example, a high achiever and I wake up at five in the morning, but you are a night owl and you don't go to sleep until two or three o'clock in the morning, you're not all of a sudden going to copy my habit of waking up at five or six o'clock in the morning and expect yourself to be productive. Just not going to happen. So copying somebody else's habits is is not something that you can sustain long term. But what you can do is you can emulate somebody's mindsets and there are actually four mindsets that they all have and and I'll tell you what those four mindsets are but what's important to realize well let's talk about what the four mindsets are and then I'll we'll talk about how to sure. apply them so the first mindset is what we talked about it's that intrinsic motivation what you were put on this earth to do what you love doing Right though that's the intrinsic motivation that fire from within nobody's forcing you to do it. This is different from what we call in adult learning extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is that diploma on the ward, on the wall, it's that award, that gold medal, the promotion, the bonus. That's mm-hmm. extrinsic motivation. But what happens with extrinsic motivation? That's when other people are judging you. And what happens when other people judge you? You can't keep that up. Mm -hmm. You cannot keep that up. So what happens is that you either fail out or you burn out. Mm -hmm. But when it comes from within, when it's something that you love to do, you are so passionate about it, it doesn't matter what challenge or what hurdle you put in front of that person, they're going to find a way to go over it, around it, under it, through it. They will get to the other side. The way that they approach challenges as a result is so different. And when you love what you're doing so much, that leads us to number two. You are going to outwork everybody. You're going to leave no stone unturned. And I don't mean that you're going to work 18-hour days. I mean that you are going to leverage your optimal peak hours. Mm. So for example, let's say that I'm a high achiever and I told you that I, I wake up pretty early. My focus hours, my peak cognitive hours are in the morning. That is when I will do my peak cognitive tasks, which for me are writing, our editing, our budget work, grant writing, things that require a lot of focus. I will not spend my peak cognitive hours doing passive tasks, responding to emails, going on a Zoom meeting, I'll save those to the afternoon when I'm a little bit slower, not as focused. I don't want to waste my morning hours on that. Mm-hmm. So it's learning how to optimize your peak hours. Also, it's understanding that your rest days are as important as your work days. That's actually what makes you more productive. Now, that takes you to number three. Number three is that strong foundation, which is constantly being reinforced what worked for you early in your career will work for you later in your career you don't stop doing it just because you became successful it's why every nba star you have ever heard of that they all do these warm-ups of of the layups and the free throws and all of that stuff they do that they did that when they're nba Mm -hmm. stars but they did that in the seventh grade when they first picked up a basketball as well nothing has changed It's the same exact warm-ups. The NBA stars just have better equipment and higher salaries. And last but certainly not least is all of these extreme high achievers are constantly learning. Mm. Now think about it. Mark Cuban, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, they read three to eight hours a day. It's not reading that made them billionaires. It's being open to new knowledge and thinking how they can take that new knowledge and use it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Because my mentor, Dr. Marie Volpe, told me there is nothing new under the sun. What's different is how you look at it. So they're looking at all of these data points and thinking, where are the gaps? What are people missing? How can I use this in a new way? Now, there are different ways that you can be open to new knowledge. So certainly those billionaires are reading, but what if you don't enjoy reading? So you can read the books, the articles, the blogs, but you can also listen to podcasts, watch LinkedIn live, go on YouTube, Mm -hmm. watch LinkedIn learning courses. There's so many ways that you can now learn and be open to new knowledge. Now, the key thing is getting that new knowledge and then processing that new knowledge. Two Mm -hmm. steps to process all of these high achievers surround themselves with a team of mentors who believe in them more than they believe in themselves. And that's what you need to do as well. So it's intrinsic motivation, perseverance, strong foundation, and continuous learning.
1: I love that. I love that. There's so much I could pick out of that. <laughs> <laughs> we could... Uh... We could dive deeper into each one of them but something that i actually thought about already before the the interview um from the number one the intrinsic motivation yeah and you mentioned about the extrinsic motivation as well maybe a little bit of that comparison trap but where do you see because i mean i i'm i believe in goal setting i'm i'm a big big fan of goal setting you you, i i believe there needs to be something out there some kind of carrot physical carrot out out in where do you see that balance? Is it 80-20 of 80-intrinsic, in- 20-extrinsic? Like where do you, or yourself or again, the people that you um, that you interviewed, how do they balance that intrinsic motivators versus the extrinsic? Because correct me if I'm wrong, there's all these people, they have extrinsic motivators as well.
0: We, we all do, but it's not what drives them. So in mm. fact, Every person, I would ask them, and we'll go to the Olympians. After we finished our interview, I said, could you show me your medals? Mm. And only two of them actually had it on display. Everyone else, it was in a box under the bed. It was in a safe. It was in a brown paper bag in the sock drawer. It was in the nightstand. It wasn't on display. And I thought that was odd. Because if Mm. I want a medal, I'd probably wear it to vacuum, I'd wear it to the grocery store. They said, no, it was never about the medal. Yeah. That's a chapter in my life. It's not the entire story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought that was so fascinating. So that was a goal. It wasn't the goal. Mm-hmm. So th- whenever they had a goal, there was another goal right after it. And that's why most of them, when they finished the Olympics, they went to train for the world championships. It wasn't mm-hmm. over yet. They kept yeah. going. And it wasn't when they did finish, when they did retire from their sport, there were no regrets, hmm. no regrets because they were always on to the next goal. And yeah. I think that is what's so important. They have bigger aspirations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And I love that you, uh, you interviewed Steve Kerr, if I remember right. <laughs> I was just and... emailing
0: him right before oh, really? the show. Yeah. <laughs>
1: oh No way. No way. I, uh, I used to play basketball back in my days, days a lot. Uh, just from personal interest, uh, uh, what did you what did you learn or take away from Steve? Like he's uh, he 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 made it as a player, and now he has made it as a coach as well. Um, wow. I, I suppose that the, one of the big things that you got—correct me if I'm wrong—was that strong foundation, and I love that. Like doing the same thing, it doesn't matter if you're a champion or if you if you're a white belt, yeah. um, the first grader, if you will. Uh, anything else that you picked up from Steve? I, I know that's a bit of a selfish personal question, but. <laughs> Hey, you're the host. You can ask. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Steve, Steve Kerr, for those who don't know, he's an eight-time NBA champion. He used to play with the Chicago Bulls. Now he's the coach for the Golden State Warriors. For him, and, and it was important to the others as well, but he's the one who originally shared the story of living your values. Mm. What are your values? And you have to be able to clearly articulate the values. But you have to be careful because most people say honesty, kindness, right? They'll say something. It's like a mission statement Mm -hmm. that it's written somewhere and nobody looks at it. But how do you live your values? And he talked about one of the values was the love of the game, the fun of the game. The game still has to be fun. And that's why he makes the workouts fun they blast music they have a good time when it's somebody's birthday they do a you know they find photos and videos from a long time ago and they actually have a whole video montage that they show so when he says it's about fun and it's about camaraderie he doesn't just say it he makes it happen and when you make it happen that is the culture of your organization Mm. and he was crystal clear about how he created that culture of excellence and it started with the values it started with being able to articulate your values but then actualize your values so everyone is very clear what values and what you stand for Mm. and i think that really helped make him so successful and he's such a nice guy
1: yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Thanks. For, <laughs> thanks for sharing that. It's, uh, it's a little bit of a personality there. Thanks so much. Something else that um, that's kind of common thing that I get a lot from people when I talk about high achievers or high performance or peak performance or what have you is this this notion about balance. And yeah. that's, again, very kind of common idea that, that the balance goes out of the, out of the window when it, when we are like at peak states and so on and so forth. Um, How do these people think about balance? And then more importantly, how do they balance the life? Like how, what do they, what's the,
0: you know, this was a lesson learned the hard way for most of them. They thought that you have to constantly work all the time, but as they became more successful, they learned to appreciate their rest days as much as they appreciated their work days because they understood that yeah. the rest days are what make your work days better. And one of those people, um, especially was Karen Davies, she was training for her fourth Olympics when I interviewed her. She already got the gold medal in rowing. And she said that she she didn't listen to her own body early on. But as she matured as an athlete, She learned to listen to her body. And as a result, when something didn't feel right, she would rest it. And Mm -hmm. that made her recovery that much faster. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the athletes who say this, even though they understand that because it's, it's physical, you can also ask all of the others who I spoke to as well, including the scientists and including um, all of the other people, the CEOs, the politicians, they understood that if they could not quiet their mind, if they could not rest their mind, they will not be at peak performance. Mm-hmm. So that is something that they actually learned. And very often they got burned early on in their career. So they learned to do that better later on.
1: Mm, yeah, and I think I think something very uh, important to understand, and and, and I, I learned that definitely pretty quickly from being in the sports world that this this notion or idea of peak performance, it's it it's it peaks, right? You yeah. can't you can't sustain that level of performance for long periods of time, not even for x amount of maybe maybe for a few hours here and there during the day, but you absolutely didn't have to have those rest and rejuvenation periods and. You know, somebody that our common friend, Curtis Mitchell, that we interviewed a few times, uh, he sleeps, he's sleeping nine to 10 hours a day. Like, <laughs> and I I think a lot of the sprinters, they sleep a yeah. lot. The same thing goes with the scientists and so yeah. on and so forth. Um, yeah. so, so saying that if we go now something into more sort of physical, I know we talked about not to talk about habits, that these were the more of the mindsets. But from yes. there, what did you see as as? again, common habits that these people were practicing daily. You mentioned about the rest and rejuvenation. Anything else that stood out that was the commonality for for many?
0: I think that the the piece about the continuous learning Mm -hmm. surprised me at the beginning. You got the Nobel Prize. You're an astronaut. You've been to space. What more do you have to learn? Yeah. And apparently they understood that now they know how much they don't know. And what's interesting is they are very comfortable in saying, I don't know. Mm. And they're very comfortable asking for help. And it doesn't matter who it's from. So if the person who's an expert in what you need to learn is two generations younger than you, go learn it. One of the people who I spoke to was a division chief at Harvard Medical School. He was in charge of an entire department. He was the best in his field there. But he needed to learn molecular biology for something. And it turns out that the best person for that was somebody who just graduated college and knew molecular biology better than anyone in the lab. They don't need to be the world's expert. They need to be the expert in the room. And that's who he learned from. He was okay with saying, I don't know, can you teach it to me? hmm and being open like that and being willing and open to learn from people who are different than you, younger than you, from different industries than you, that's what's going to make you successful. Yeah. Never say I have all the answers. I know it all. Never.
1: Yeah, yeah that's that's where the the piece about humbleness comes into play. Like yeah. you you gotta be able to say, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in the same learning game as as you are. Maybe maybe I'm a few steps ahead of you, but in something else like that's something that i've learned also from from people that like i look at like sometimes they're 100 steps ahead of me and i am fortunate to talk to or interview some people like yourself and yet when even in the live sessions or if i talk to these these types of personalities and individuals they have this 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 intrinsic curiosity as well that they actually want to learn from you they want to yeah. ask questions from you and understanding that no matter where you are or who you're talking to, you can always learn something from the person that that's across the table from you. That's and right. I think, and I think that's a beautiful skill and attribute to have in your repertoire when you understand like there's there's so much to learn in the world. And, and then you have to be able to obviously give it back. So beautiful. Um, Something that just came to my mind as well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. All these people that you interviewed for the book, they also were very focused and yes. safeguarding their their focus and energy, yes. like that's 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 a big thing for me. I, I call it like energy and focus management. That's right. Anything anything that you found out from there, and 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 more importantly, how did, how did they safeguard that focus? What how, how were they able to build that little you know bubble of focus around them?
0: They did it in very different ways, um, and and one of the things that. I realized, and I know this as an adult educator, is that what works for them may not work for me, may not work for Mm -hmm. you, but maybe it'll work for you today, but maybe it won't work later. Copying their direct ways of how they protected it is not as important as the fact that they did protect it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I want to be very cautious is don't say, oh, this worked for the Nobel Prize winner. It's going to work for me. Because maybe the Nobel Prize winner is 40 years older than you, doesn't have children living at home, doesn't have those responsibilities anymore, has a housekeeper coming to the house, something that we call a load of life. So copying their habits won't work, but knowing what it is that they are, that's important to them is so important. The last section of the book, the last third of the book is all about how to implement these four elements of success. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I know as an adult educator is, as I said, what works for me may not work for you. And what works for you today may not work for you the next time you have a transition, a new job, a new partner, another child, a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important to have options. And we know that adults like options. We do not like to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. So it was very important for me to provide options. So when I tell you how to manage your time and your energy, by all means, know that you need to protect your time and energy. And then there are several different ways that I offer in which you can do that. So for example, one of the ways that I talk about is something called the Pomodoro Technique. The Pomodoro Technique takes you into this deep focus for a brief period of time. 20, 25 minutes, and then you give yourself a five minute break. And then you do another Pomodoro, 20 or 25 minutes, another five minute break. Another Pomodoro, another five minute break. And during your Pomodoro, That deep focus work, you are shutting off all notifications. Your phone is on do not disturb. Your laptop's on do not disturb. You're not checking social media. You don't have other tabs open. You are clearly focused on that one task that you're doing. And notice that if you do it for 25 minutes as a sprint, you will get so much done. Mm -hmm. After three, four Pomodoros, you take a longer break. Now, here's where we need to be a little bit flexible. What I realized is that I have a longer on-ramp than most. I need longer than 25 minutes for my Pomodoro. So my Pomodoro is 35 to 40 minutes. That's what works for me. And at the time when we were sequestered at home in the early days of the pandemic, I would, how do I get all these tasks at home done with all of my work tasks Instead of putting the timer on my phone, I would put a load of laundry in the washing machine. One cycle was enough for one Pomodoro. And I would get work done while getting the laundry done.
1: Yeah. Focused multitasking. That's a multitasking That's it, and, yeah. and focused together. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. I, for me personally as well, it's about 45 minutes. If I'm pushing 50 minutes, I, I, I realize like something is off. I have to get up and do a couple of stretches and move myself around a little bit. You know what
0: happened though? One time I didn't listen to my own advice mm-hmm. and I was deeply focused on something that I was working on and I sat there for three hours without getting up. Mm. You'd think like, oh my God, you got so much done. And I did, but I didn't get anything else done for the rest of the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was That's-
0: mentally exhausted.
1: Yeah that's an that's an interesting uh it <laughs> that that pretty quickly takes the conversation into this flow state and you know some people yeah. can just drop into it and that's a whole kind of different discussion that uh we could I mean there's books written about the whole you know state of flow and so on and so yeah. forth which which goes fully hand in hand with the focus and so forth but uh let's uh let's uh talk a little bit about the book where can people find it how it's been structured uh, and yes. so on and so forth. And then after the, we Here talk about this. Yeah, there we go. Beautiful. Tell us a little bit about the book, how it's been structured, who it is for, obviously for high achievers, who else can sort of benefit from it. And, uh, and how, how was that, that writing process, by the way?
0: Sure. So the, the book is called The Success Factor. Wherever you love getting books, that's where it's available. Um, it's structured in three parts. The first part really creates the business case for having high achievers. Because there's actually a business case because high Mm. achievers are 400% more productive than an average employee. So there is a real business case for having more high achievers. Unfortunately, within organizations, most of our attention is given to the low performers. Mm. So we need to we need to switch that around. So that's the f- the first part. The second part of the book talks about the four elements of success: the intrinsic motivation, the perseverance, the strong foundation, and the continuous learning. And I share stories with ex- with from the lives of the extreme high achievers, the stories that they shared with me. So it's people like Steve Kerr and Dr. Tony Fauci and Dr. Peggy Whitson, the former NASA chief astronaut and, and people like that. And in the last part of the book, the third part teaches people how they can implement those four elements into their own lives. Mm-hmm. Because I can't just tell you what the four elements of success are without teaching you how to implement it. I'm an adult educator. I have to teach it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm just telling you stuff, but you won't know how to use it And it's actually what we call in adult learning the banking theory, where a professor stands in front of the classroom, gives you a lot of information, but doesn't tell you which account to deposit the information in. So you've got this big mess in your head. You have everything on the floor. You don't have it in folders in the filing cabinet. So I created those folders, and I teach you how to actually implement it.
1: Love it. Love it. Um, just really quickly before we get into the questions. Um, you mentioned about those obviously those four main pillars, if you will. Now, someone listening and I, correct me if I'm wrong, I suppose these these uh, high achievers, they or the people that the interviewed for the book, they kind of do all these four uh, almost like simultaneously, That they, they have all the boxes checked, if you will. Yeah. Now, someone who's thinking or reading or, or listening to this right now and, and thinking like, well, I maybe have one out of four. Or I have nothing. Where would one? Is is there one that sort of more preferred sort of gateway pillar, if you will? Or does it matter where you start from? As long as you start.
0: Yeah, I think you need to start with finding your passion and purpose, tapping Mm. into your intrinsic motivation, because once you find that, no one is going to to extinguish that fire that's burning within you. If anything, you want to pour gas on it. You want to light it up. So really tapping into what your intrinsic motivation is. And one of the things that I walk you through in the book, and it's actually there's downloadable resources that come with the book. I told you I'm an educator. (laughs) So one of those things is a passion audit. How to figure out what it is that you are passionate about. Just because you're good at it doesn't mean you enjoy doing it. There's a difference. Hmm. So how to figure out what it is that you love to do because the research has shown you only need to spend 20% of your time doing what you love in order for the other stuff that you're doing not to deplete you so much.
1: Hmm. That's an interesting. That's an interesting. So, so you we always hear about these 80 20 rule. So I suppose that goes kind of hand in hand with that. But that's a that's a very key takeaway for me i mean i've never heard yeah. that that's a fantastic one so if if you live even 20% of your days with passion or you do 20% then the rest of the 80% kind of evens itself out
0: that's oh. all you need you need to have a purpose
1: yeah yeah because again like a lot of people think like, oh i need to live 24/7 out of my purpose I know. but we need to do a laundry sometimes we need to take the kids to school and you know take the rubbish out and so on and so, right. so forth that's
0: right that's right yeah I love it
1: <laughs> Love it, love it, love it! Um, all right, let's pull this one out from here. Uh, this question comes from Berna. Uh, I put it right here. If is success the achievement of, of or the journey to make the paradigm shift? When we say high achievers, the outcome seems to be important compared to the journey of the passion and intrinsic motivation.
0: I think it's both. And one thing that I realized when I spoke to all of these extreme high achievers, I said to them, I am really not interested in what I can Google about you. I don't need to have that conversation if, if all we're going to do is talk about your achievements. I said, that's the tip of the iceberg. I said, what's more important and more interesting to me is what's below the waterline, the journey that it took to get there. And once you reveal that, that was where I found all the answers, the, the nuggets, the really good stuff. That's when I realized how much the astronaut has in common with the Olympian.
1: Nice one, beautiful. Uh, let's pull this one out from here also from Yoni. It's a little bit of a longer one. A question recently came across FB uh, from a friend who shared about being torn apart. She's deserve a high, uh, high performer all her life, but has been an entrepreneur all her life and has a major struggle with balancing her drive to achieve and a healthy downtime. Any insights to help out easing someone with the struggle? So many people living with the handbrake instead of achieving a flow.
0: Yeah, and I really think this is where a team of mentors can really help out because mentors actually have two roles. And this is the work of Kathy Cram in Boston. One is your career success. The other is the psychosocial support. Because what happens very often when we are working on something, especially when we're intrinsically motivated to do it, we are so deep inside the jar that we can't read the label. And everything seems to get blown out of proportion. And the mentors can really take that 60,000 foot view and really put things in perspective for us. Because Mm -hmm. the things that we think are the most important right now are completely insignificant. But we don't see that right now because we are so deep inside. So really surrounding yourself with a team of mentors is so critical. That's another one of those downloadable resources that I have in the book, The Success Factor, is how to develop your own mentoring team because it's so important.
1: Yeah and I, I love the fact that uh, obviously I'm in the coaching space, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're in the education space, but they, they're very similar, and then mentoring, obviously it's, it's similar but a little bit different. And, and, and you just mentioned there that the further you go, nobody's can, no, nobody can't do it alone. But yeah. further you go, the, fir- the higher up in the ladder you climb up, it's, it's almost like more and more people you have in your corner. Yeah look at the look at the nba teams they have you know stretch coaches they have physical coaches they have actual coaches and nutritionists and you know all these things so it's 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 basically understanding already from the beginning that hey i i need people in my corner i need i need mentors i need coaches i need friends and community not the friendships are extremely important as well which is something that a lot of people forget along the path that 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 yes, it's just it's just driving driving driving, but then maybe the friendships and the community is is lacking behind. So so bringing yep. people with you for the ride, I think it's it's something that I have to remind myself a lot about as well.
0: And it's um, what we call a community of practice. People who are like you, there is that common thread. They can empathize with you. And another story that I share in the book, the success factor, is something called friendors, friends mm. who are also your peer mentors. And I shared the story of a president of a university and the dean of Wharton, one of the top business schools, who are best friends. One's mm-hmm. a president of a university. The other is a dean of a business school. But they met as, tw- as 20-something-year-olds in grad school mm-hmm. because peers rise together. So yeah. you're not going to be at a junior level forever. You're going to rise with these people. So that's why it's so important to have these people. And mentors are really there with you for the long run. There are differences between coaches and mentors. One of one is that the mentors are there more for the long term, the long career. And mentors are usually not paid. So it's about giving back for them, which is very different from what we have with coaches. And you and I do both. So it's there is a, a distinguishing feature. And I think there's benefits to having both of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, How would you, if someone is looking for or thinking like, Hey, I need to hire someone or I need to find a mentor. I mean, obviously you, you mentioned there, what would be the one or two sort of starting points? What, what would you sort of look, look up in the mentor um, when you start looking, for example?
0: So I think when you're looking for a mentor, one thing you need to understand is that you never ask someone to be your mentor. Mm. Because if you're asking them to be a mentor, remember these are volunteers, you're asking them to take on another obligation. Nobody has time for that. But if you ask people who you find interesting, who have accomplished something that you can learn from, and say, I really want to get your perspective on something. Could I just ask you a quick question? Can I talk to you for 15 minutes? I I know you have experience in this, and I was just curious how you would approach this. Then you'll get a lot of fabulous mentoring advice because who doesn't like to give their opinion? Mm. And what happens is you do this over time. And as a mentee, you need to prove yourself. You need to show that you're worth it. You give more than you ever take. And trust me, every mentee has something that they can give always. So surround yourself with interesting people. If you're going to all these webinars and all these talks, the, the, keynote speaker is fantastic but so are the people in the audience so are the people in the chat you can learn equally from them because what happens is they are equally as interested in the topic that is being discussed they have the same passion as you they might just have a different approach to it so start looking at all of those comments that are in the chat, see which ones resonate with you and start connecting with those people. And I actually teach you in The Success Factor how to do that.
1: It's been a beautiful conversation. I've, I've learned a couple of definitely key nuggets from here. I very much humbled from your time. How can people find you? Where do you hang out the most online? And obviously you mentioned about the book that people can get it from wherever books are sold, but uh, what's yes. your favorite? what's your favorite space online?
0: Oh, it varies. I think lately it's LinkedIn. I really, um, I'm really i there on LinkedIn. I, I'm, act, I'm on most of the social media platforms. It's just my name, Ruth Gautian. The book is called The Success Factor, wherever you love buying books. Also on my website, which is just my name, Ruth Gautian, there's actually a link, ruthgotiancom slash book. And it actually tells you all over the world, where you can buy the book. So that's the book's the success factor. I do have one request though.
1: Go ahead, go ahead, absolutely.
0: If you guys love the book, and I really hope you do, I would love if you leave a rating and review. I personally read those and trust me, when I see that it comes up in my inbox that there's a new review, I get so excited because I really wanna read it because my mentor said to me, do something important, not just interesting. Because if it's interesting, it's important to you. If it's important, it'll have an impact on others. And I really want to have an impact on others so I can leave this world better than I found it. So I'm hoping if people like the success factor, they could let me know by leaving that rating and review and hopefully help make an impact so I can leave the world better than I found it.
1: (laughs) Well. Uh, I was just gonna ask if you had any uh, any departing notes or thoughts, but I think that one do something important instead of interesting. That's yeah. uh, that's a big one. That's a big one right there. So if you don't take anything else from this interview, I'm sure you did. That's that's uh, that's a that's a key takeaway to take home. Changed uh, my life. Yeah, or there sure. we go. There we go. And just really quickly for the for the last thoughts, like a lot of the times, we looking for. We become these inside junkies. We're looking for next thing. We're looking for, and we don't stop and we don't take it all in. It, it sometimes it only takes one or two big ideas or like they might be small ideas for others. But whatever resonates with you, If whenever you find a little opening, then yeah. then go deep in it. Make yes. sure you, you dedicate yourself to, to that personal growth and development. I think there's a lot that can be found it might be a deep hole for some but there's a lot that can be found from there as well so uh i love talking to you today ruth thank you so much for your time uh please people if you're listening this on live today with us or replay do yourself a big favor go and take uh, go and get the book from wherever you get books and and leave a review for ruth uh thank you so much for your time ruth uh look forward to following your journey further
0: Thank you so much. I'm glad we finally connected.
1: Absolutely.